This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, a U.S. federal agent reveals his role in unwittingly planning the 9-11 terrorist attack 25 years before it happened. One of the people from the Department of Defense gave me non-rescindable orders that if, in fact, the World Trade Center Twin Towers was attacked in the manner in which we discussed in the study, that I was to do everything I possibly could to get the information to the American people. This podcast is brought to you by Canada's decontamination specialists, Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners. Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners is committed to helping people when tragedy strikes. Their objective is to restore safety to an environment in the most professional and discreet manner possible. To contact Crime and Trauma Scene Cleaners, visit crimescenecleaners.ca. Call 1-866-724-0800, 1-866-724-0800, or email them at info at crimescenecleaners.ca. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Monday. U.S. Federal Agent Timothy McNiven is standing by with a truly remarkable story. Just a reminder to get on up to strangeplanet.ca and register. It's very quick. Once you've registered your email, you'll receive my free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum, and you'll be eligible for the monthly draw for Strange Planet merchandise. Again, go to strangeplanet.ca and register. Last month, Timothy McNiven reached out to me after hearing me on Coast to Coast discussing 9-11 with James Corbett of the Corbett Report out of Japan. He then sent me a rather hefty packet of documents through the mail, and these included court documents and his own sworn testimony. After reading them, I came to the conclusion that McNiven was sincere and credible. Of course, you'll have to draw your own conclusions. Timothy McNiven, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm doing fine, Richard. How are you? Terrific. Thank you. You introduced yourself uh, to me in your correspondence as U.S. Federal Agent Timothy S. McNiven. Uh, when you say U.S. Federal Agent, explain what, what that means and what you do or what you did for the U.S. government. Okay. I'm a U.S. Federal Agent because... Uh, My title is United States Defense Department Intelligence Investigative Office Supervisor to the Office of the Secretary of Defense. 
So I shorten it to just U.S. federal agent. And what I do is I'm the supervisor for the intelligence office assigned to the office of the Secretary of Defense. But I'm on the outs with the political party people in Washington, D.C. And so there are, you are you now retired? No, I... I, in 97, I had a massive heart attack, and I went on a medical leave. Then in 2001, when the September 11 hijackings happened, that activated my callback orders, so I've been active duty since they happened there on September 11. But the Department of Defense is illegally withholding my federal resources, and I can't find a lawyer to help me get them or anyone else. When you say resources, you mean your 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 pension? No, like staff members, a car and driver, you know, office, and all the stuff I had before I had my heart attack and went on medical leave. And and, the, presum- and presumably they're withholding these resources uh, for the reason that we're about to get into. Right. Okay. So uh, next, take us back before we get into the the affidavit that you provided in the, um, the RICO suit uh, on behalf of Ellen Mariani uh, that was uh, heard in the East Pennsylvania District Court. I want you to take us back to 1975-76 to provide the backstory here, which is really the crux uh, of you know why you were asked to swear out an affidavit. What were you doing in West Germany in 1975-76? I was a member of C Battery, 2nd of the 81st Field Artillery, U.S. Army, and I was an enlisted man in... Uh, the army at that time and then one day I got called to the office where Lieutenant Teague explained to me that I would be taking part in a study to improve the U.S. air travel security and then uh, he told me that the reason they were doing it was because of the uh, hijacking of the Israeli jet at the Olympics a recent bombing in Frankfurt and uh, Mr. Bike's attempt to uh, hijack an airliner to crash it into the White House to get Nixon when he was president. That was, I think, what prompted them to, you know, get the studies going to uh, improve uh, the air travel security. So just for people who may not be old enough or or don't recall, but at this period, in the mid-70s, airline hijackings, it, it almost seemed like in the news there was one every week. I mean, it was rampant. Oh, yeah. I, I remember everybody wanted to go to Cuba. That's right. They wanted to divert the plane to go to Cuba. Correct. All right. So why was the 81st Field Artillery, U.S. Army, why were they selected, uh, and I guess this was an order from Congress, why were you selected to conduct this study on preventing or rather improving airline uh, safety? Well, the Department of Defense uh, takes people from different uh, services, like they probably took people from the Navy and the Air Force and the Marines also and questioned them, you know, to get uh, really complete information on how to stop hijackings from, you know, multiple people. 
so that, uh, you know, why they chose C battery, they never said exactly, but they, when they do studies, they, you know, ask a number of different people so they can have a whole bunch of information. And what particular skill set did you bring uh, to this study, which again was to create countermeasures to prevent an attack? Well, I was uh, one of the enlisted men that was asked to take part. Like sergeants took part, other enlisted men took part, officers took part, you know, at different times of the day and on different days because I would get called to the office and then they would ask me questions about uh, what kind of airplane would be the best airplane to hijack. And I thought that an airplane that was going to fly over the ocean since they would have, you know, full fuel tanks. But then another person said, well, you know, they have full fuel tanks when they uh, have cross-country flights also. So uh, so you were all together was, in a room and you were just basically brainstorming? Is that the idea? Where I took part, they had me in the hallway in front of our office, and then the people who were conducting the study were in back of me. I was never allowed to see the people from the Department of Defense, they all they had coordinated with Lieutenant Teague on what questions to ask me and, you know, and whatever other person he would work with. So they had it set up so I would never be able to see them. And there, only a couple times did they say anything. Forgive me for asking this, but if they were serious, the Congress, the Pentagon, or the Defense Department were serious about uh, preventing a hijacking or creating countermeasures to prevent an attack, it would seem to me that it would be far more reasonable to, you know, to recruit experts, maybe, I don't know, airline uh, employees, uh, federal uh you know, Bureau of Investigators, uh, I don't know, psychologists who might try to understand the the mind of a, of a terrorist. Why would they simply pick a bunch of enlisted people? Did you ever, did you ever wonder why me? Um, not really. The military, you know, they do what they do and that's it. You know, they give you an order and you follow it. Okay. So I fair enough. But you know, like you said, you know, other security people they may have had other people involved because, like in the the papers I sent you that were from uh, Frank Bass's article, mm-hmm. and it had all the different people like Rudy Giuliani took part in the studies also. Interesting. Okay, so, so uh, excuse me, Timothy, I just I want to, there's uh, so much here to get to, but uh, so on the first day that you took part in this study, you were given a scenario. Tell me about that, that, what that scenario was, which is very key. We were told that the scenario for this study would be an airliner was going to be hijacked and then crashed into a 100-story building in America, then we were to think about how we would do it so that they could create the countermeasures to prevent hijackings from happening in the future. 100-story towers. Does that that yeah, sounds that, rather... Well, <laughs> how many 100-story towers were there in the United States in 1975-76? Oh, well, there was... Uh, 
I think one or two maybe in Chicago or one. The Sears building, right. And then the Twin Towers and then uh, the Empire State Building. You know, they were mostly concerned about uh, financial buildings where there was a lot of business taking place. Those kind of buildings. Did they ever name the building the specific target, or was it just left generic as a 100-story building? Well, at first it was just a generic building. Then after uh, the second week, they came and announced that the generic 100-story building was being changed to the World Trade Center Twin Towers in New York City. And Sergeant Henderson told us in the hallway that when Lieutenant Teague heard this, because he's from Long Island, New York, that he said that he was able to do it because it was his orders, but it was weird to be ordered to plan to blow up your own hometown. It, it shook him really bad. So again, you're running you're running a scenario to to fly an airliner into the World Trade Center towers, and this is in the mid 1970s, 25 years before the 9/11 attacks. 25 years. Yes. They also asked you specifically. You mentioned, you know, you thought it would be given the scenario, you would want to use a transatlantic flight because it was the the plane would be full of fuel. Someone else countered, well, so is a continental flight. They're also filled with fuel. But then they asked you specifically what type of plane, and your answer was what? A Boeing airplane, because my two older brothers had worked for Boeing's, and they had told me that Boeing's had the one-lock, one-key security system so that no one would ever get locked out of their airplane for losing the key, there was only one key for the Boeing lock. So and you're putting your, your yourself in the place of a, a hijacker and you're saying, well, wait a minute, the, the, the plane to hijack is a Boeing because if I get a hold of any Boeing key, it's going to work on any Boeing plane. Right. Amazing. And uh, you... You had also, um, your, your two older brothers, you say they worked for Boeing. They grew up in Everett, uh, Washington, where the 747 is assembled. How did they respond to the uh, this bit of information, the one key, one lock uh, bit of information? Well, I got a comment back from the people that from the Department of Defense that uh, they didn't know that information. They didn't, you know, realize that Boeing only had you know, the one lot for their pilot's door. Then then came the subject of weapons. If if the hijackers are going to overpower the crew or if they're going to, you know, commandeer the, 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 the plane, you had to think about, well, what type of weapons would the, the hijackers use? And you came up with? A box knife to use as a weapon because when I worked at this... Uh, company as a machine shop in California, this one guy, he uh, punched his hand in the press and it cut an artery. And like, you know, I had heard that 
when you cut an artery, the blood squirts out. And, you know, I had never seen it. So when it happened, I'm standing there in total shock, just watching this blood squirt out of his hand. And one of the other employees had to yell at me to go get the manager because he saw that I was, you know, completely spellbound by this blood squirting out. So I said, well, you know, since I shot me so badly that the people on the airplane, if they had uh, blood squirted out on them, they would probably be, you know, terrorized kind of like I was. Stand there in shock. So, so I... Go ahead. So that's why I said on the uh, box knife. And, but when they asked how to get it on board... Um, Sergeant Middleton said he had a, a, a relative that worked at a airport and he said that because of all the drug smuggling on the airlines that the people would come in and out of, uh, the luggage area, they'd go on the planes and stash, you know, drugs on the planes and the people that worked there didn't pay any attention to them. Because they knew if they uh, bothered these drug dealers that were putting their drugs on the planes that, you know, they'd get a visit at home. So he said it'd be an easy way just to have someone, you know, carried on through the luggage area before the flight took off because they didn't keep people out of the area. You had initially suggested plastic box cutters to avoid the metal detectors, but your colleague suggested that wasn't necessary. They could be placed on the plane in advance. Yes. And again, this rather gruesome detail, just so, um, you know, I I just want to make sure I'm following along here. So you're suggesting then, under your scenario, the best way to commandeer the plane, to get everybody's attention, to instill fear... Uh, and then control the the passengers on board those doomed aircraft was to take those box cutters and sever the artery arteries uh, the jugular veins of several people uh, in in one of the seats and uh, with the the blood squirting out it's horrible to imagine but that would that would cause so much fear and everyone would take notice immediately that that's how they would yeah. they okay now I've never heard it, I mean are there reports that on 9-11 that the jugular veins were cut and that that's what happened? Well, that's what they said was that said happened. And uh, I was thinking that with all the things that we talked about in the study, then happening or supposedly happening on September 11, that perhaps the study wasn't to prevent hijackings, but to help create a cover story for some type of nefarious attack by the Washington, D.C. politicians. Right, right. Um, so in other words, you, you began to clue in that we're not trying to prevent a hijacking. We're creating the scenario that will be used for a hijacking. Or as a cover-up story. Right, right. And when you announced that if the Twin Towers were in fact ever attacked, you would go to the people and you would, you would, you would blow the whistle. What happened? 
Well, when I said that in the hallway before, you know, the session was going to start, Lieutenant Teague and Sergeant Middleton grabbed me uh, by one arm each and dragged me down the hallway and told me, you're in the U.S. Army now. You don't tell anyone anything. And Lieutenant Teague dismissed me from the study. And then about a week later, I get called to the office and Lieutenant Teague is standing outside the office while one of the people from the Department of Defense gave me non-rescindable orders that if, in fact, the World Trade Center Twin Towers was attacked in the manner in which we discussed in the study, that I was to do everything I possibly could to get the information to the American people. It didn't matter what condition I was in, as in my health, which is why I'm still doing it with my heart disease. And it didn't make any difference what situation I was in, you know, financially. I was to do everything I possibly could to get the information to the American people. And was that non-rescindable order given to your, your, your colleagues in the study group? Uh, no, just to me. And uh, after... I guess Donald Rumsfeld heard about it uh, back at the Department of Defense. He issued an order that Sergeant Riggs came and told me that it came down that if anybody were to talk about this study before I did, then their family members could uh, be physically hurt or harmed in some way, like their wives and children. Rumsfeld issued a threat against soldiers, family members that they talked. And I think, and that's the reason why they won't come forward, because I haven't been able to get the information into the media so that the threat that, you know, Rumsfeld issued won't get carried out. And I'm sure that when they saw Rumsfeld in office again on September 11, that they were scared of him carrying out the threat to harm their wives and children. More of my conversation with Timothy McNiven when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. America, we are endowed by our creator, with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Timothy in Tennessee writes, This is one of the greatest things I've ever put in my body. 
I couldn't agree more. Lana Paley in California writes, Thank you. This is a miracle tea. With every glass, I feel better and better. Now, over the last couple of months, I've been extolling the virtues of Life Change Tea, this remarkable all-organic, caffeine-free herbal tea. I begin every day with an 8-ounce glass of cold, refreshing tea. It's gently cleansing my body. No more bloating, no more constipation. I feel energized. And let me tell you, that's crucial for a late-night radio guy. Why not find out for yourself how Life Change Tea and Formula 13 Herbal Power Tea can change your life? Go to GetTheTea.com, GetTheTea.com, and use the code word UNLIMITED when making your first purchase. That order ships for free. Life Change Tea and Formula 13 Herbal Power Tea from GetTheTea.com. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again, what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. U.S. federal agent Timothy McNiven is here discussing 9-11. Let me just back up for a moment because there's one other aspect of this scenario. Again, this study group. So one day your superior, Lieutenant Teague, asks the study group what type of political climate the country would be in when this attack would take place, and, and what, which is kind of an odd question. Uh, why would he ask the study group that? But anyway, what was, what was the, the response from the study group? Well, that it would be during a time of uh, political infighting between the Democrats and the Republicans and that one party would hamstring the other one, set them up for uh, a possible attack happening during their, you know, administration to make, you know, to win political points for the next election. Almost like the old October surprise, except this was in September. So in other words, the idea was that this, this catastrophic event, this terrorist act would be done in order to make an incoming or give advantage to the incoming administration or would it be used to hamstring the incoming administration? Yeah, to hamstring the incoming administration. All right. But the so, inc- that- so the incoming administration in 2001 was President George W. Bush. Yes. So the idea was that this action would have been, the perpetrators would have been his political opponents? Well, um, possibly, but then possibly again, Democrats and Republicans do get together on some issues, and uh, they both have been together on keeping me from receiving my Department of Defense federal resources, because once I had that, then I could go directly to the television stations and release this information straight to the American people on all the television news stations. So they've been together on that. And, uh, but the uh, implementation of these security improvements, because it was in 1976 when the study took part, was going to be postponed until after the election with the 
you know, new administration putting up the funding, but that was Jimmy Carter and the Democrats, and they cut the funding for implementing the security improvements after the Republicans spent over five years developing these security improvements the Jimmy Carter and the Democrats, you know, to stick their thumb in the Republicans' eye, decided they just cut the funding for it. And that never happened until after September 11, 2001. Uh, then they implemented the, <clears throat> excuse me, the security improvements that should have been implemented in 1977 by Jimmy Carter. And if they had been, the September 11 attacks would have never happened. Because since they implemented the security improvements following September 11, they brought the Democrats and the Republicans bragged about no other hijackings has happened since they did implement the security improvements. So if they would have done them in 1977, September 11, 2001 never would have happened. So the study group, you issued a report. Was that submitted to Congress? Does that study, does, does that report have a name? Was it entered into the Library of Congress? Well, it was a Department of Defense study, so I'm sure it has some kind of classification. But I was never told the name of a study, you know, or a code name or anything. They just said, you know, this is going to be a study and you're going to take part with other people. And so they never really explained. Right. And so September 11 happens and you, you watch uh, along with everyone else this horror unfolding in New York and later at the Pentagon. Uh, at that moment, when you see those, uh, you know, when you, we see the planes flying into those buildings into the North and South Tower... What's going through your mind at this point? Well, I woke up about 6 o'clock on that morning and turned the TV on while I'm making coffee, and I see a building with some smoke coming out of it, but there's no announcer saying anything. And then I sit down, and a few minutes later, I see another plane hit the building, and I'm going, what the hell? And then... About a half an hour later, it dawned on me that I had just watched what we talked about in the study. Planes being crashed into the World Trade Center Twin Towers. And I yelled out, you lousy SOB bastard, you did it. Referring to Washington, D.C. being responsible for it happening. And then when you found out that they were using box cutters, that must have just been further insult to injury. Well, it made me think that uh, I had been used to uh, create a cover story for some uh, nefarious action by Washington, D.C. All right. So we then we, we move ahead to, I think it's 2004. And Ellen Mariani, uh, who is the the wife of the late uh, Louis Neal Mariani, who died during the 9-11 attacks. She is the, the plaintiff in a case, a RICO uh, case, in the United States District Court, uh, Eastern District of Pennsylvania. 
And the plaintiffs are George W. Bush, Richard Cheney, Vice President, John Ashcroft, Attorney General, Don Rumsfeld, Secretary of Defense, and others, including the Director of the CIA, Secretary Department of Transportation, etc., etc., including George W. Bush's, uh, George uh, Herbert Walker Bush, uh, the, uh, the 41st President, and the former Director of the CIA. Uh, and you were called to, to swear out an affidavit. How did you get involved in this case? In other words, uh, how did you know or come to know Ellen Mariani or her attorney, Phil Berg? I saw it in the news that this lawsuit had been filed. And so I contacted uh, Phil Berg's office and I was hooked up with a, uh, uh, I Jeff Truman from, uh, he was part of the Verpa people who volunteered to work for uh, Phil Berg. And I dealt with him. He was the person who had me fill out the affidavit and I conducted, you know, business with him. I didn't uh, have business with Phil Berg himself, but just with his volunteer staff members. And uh, for those not aware, Phil Berg uh, is or was the former assistant attorney general, if I'm not mistaken, of Pennsylvania. And uh, so, he, so he was. Um, handling this, or he was def- he was representing Ellen Mariani. So, basically, everything that you've told me here tonight, that's what you put in the affidavit, correct? Yes. So, what happened in that trial? Well, it never came to court. I heard from uh, someone that <clears throat> Mr. Berg didn't make a filing date, and so that the case got dismissed and so, uh, all right but there were two other federal trials that that um, you tried to well you, you you submitted an affidavit in two other federal trials in, in, relating to um to this case what happened oh yes i filed a lawsuit against uh, donald rumsfeld for illegally withholding my federal resources but I didn't pay the filing fee because I knew all he had to do was claim national security and the case would be dismissed. So I just wanted the information to be part of federal records. So if someone in the future was going through the records and came across it, well, there would be, you know, information there for people for that. And, then the uh, lawsuit I filed against Donald Trump, he didn't reply to it, which, you know, according to federal court rules, if you don't reply, you concede the case to the other party. So I was expecting, you know, him to concede it anyway, because the only legal reason they have to withhold my federal resources if I was not the federal agent I testified in federal court I am. 
So in other words, you, you, sorry, you sued Donald Trump as in president, as since he's been president, again, trying to get your resources back as a federal agent. Yes. And the uh, federal judge uh, didn't comply with the federal rules and decided to proceed with the case. Why? I, you know, because I I didn't have a lawyer and I had no idea what this legal move that they pulled on me was doing. And so I couldn't respond. And I looked and looked for a lawyer and no lawyer would provide me with any help. And so the case got dismissed. If you don't mind me asking, sir, how old are you? I'll be 66 in November. So your retirement age, why, why do you want to get your resources back? Why do you still want to be a federal agent? Well, I'm a federal agent because U.S. federal law says I am. You know, I'm a member. My contract with the Department of Defense is that I will provide intelligence services for America and the U.S. government until the day I die or until the U.S. government ceases to exist. Those were the words of my contract. So until I die, I'm a federal agent, whether I like it or not. And obviously they would rather you just go away. Uh, why didn't they just simply fire you? Well, they can't fire me because I have a status like a Supreme Court justice, so that way I won't be influenced by either the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, that I can report equally on both parties any wrongdoing that, you know, I come across them doing. Have they attempted to to bury your past? In other words, do they deny that you're a federal agent? Have they expunged all records pertaining to your employment as a federal agent? No, I don't think so. I mean, you know, I've contacted the Secretary of Defense, a couple of them, and, you know, they don't reply, but they know who I am. So that, you know, they wished, uh, they probably thought that when I had my massive heart attack in 97 that I was completely knocked out of the picture. But after seeing what happened on September 11, it kind of motivated me to, you know, get back into trying to do my military mission. So again... You were part of a study group which was ostensibly asked to prevent a 9-11 type situation. Instead, they wanted you uh, to, to create the scenario that they would use to perpetrate 9-11. Well, whether perpetrate or help create a cover story right. for it. Right. And uh, we should point out as well that that you have taken a lie detector test. Tell me about that. Yes, when I, right after September 11 happened, I was trying to get a media outlet 
to give me some coverage and no one would. So I thought, well, maybe if I take a polygraph exam, that will give them something to go on. So I contacted, since I live in Bellingham, which is right across the border from Vancouver, I found uh, Mr. Weller in Vancouver. And I went up there and he explained to me that he had been trained by the U.S. Army to do a a military-grade polygraph exam, and that's what I would receive from him. And uh, so I took the polygraph exam and passed it. And and what, what sort of questions were you asked during the polygraph examination? Oh, whether the test happened. Uh, the you study, know, you mean what? the study, the study. The study, yeah, yes. the study. Uh, and whether you and, were who you say you are? Yes, and did I tell the truth about the scenario of the plane crash and that uh, plane crashes and that? What happened to the other members of that study group going back now? We're talking about 45 years ago now. Uh, Lieutenant Teague and, and others, where are they now? Have you had any contact with Lieutenant Teague? I looked up Lieutenant Teague through the U.S. Army Rangers Association, and they sent back a co- communication to me that said he didn't want to talk to me. Because he knew that if I contacted him the way I did through them asking him to come forward, that my health was going to be so bad that I couldn't protect him from, you know, retaliation. So he, you know, he's alive. You know, he was in good health. He So... But I don't know where he is. And I contacted the Rangers Association another time and to ask them, you know, could you please, you know, contact him? And they didn't reply back to me. But if other people were to contact, you know, the Rangers Association through their website, www.rangers.org. They've got the uh, telephone numbers, email address, and mailing address for like the uh, officers of the U.S. Rangers Association, like the president, secretary, treasurer. You could contact them and ask them to contact Lieutenant Teague and tell him that, you know, you can come forward, you know, and tell the truth about what you did in the study because he has a lot more information and a lot higher security clearance information than I do because all I was was an enlisted man. So all I got to know about the study was what the enlisted men did, not what the sergeants did or not what the officers did. They had much more detailed information and stuff like the day they talked about using explosives. I got excused from that day because the only thing I knew about explosives was I saw a building being imploded on television once. So that wasn't enough to keep me there for the discussion on using explosives to bring the target building down. So, you know, Lieutenant Teague, 
is the person that you need to get hold of because he's got a lot more information, him and the sergeants. Assuming everything you're saying is true, this would be perhaps the ultimate smoking gun in the 9-11 investigation. Um, yeah, I think it, well, it would initiate an, in, an investigation beca- into it because, uh, well, now it's been established why my testimony that the U.S. government did have prior knowledge of the September 11 attacks happening because we conducted this study 25 years before. So they knew this scenario. And you helped create it. Yes, I did. Timothy McNiven, thank you so much for stepping forward and and for telling your story. Well, thank you. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back with a few words about an upcoming episode. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, or my YouTube channel, Strange Planet, I hope you'll consider becoming an official donor. A donation of $50 a month places you in the Star Chamber. $20 a month is the whistleblower tier, and a donation of just $10 per month makes you a truth seeker. Star Chamber and whistleblower members can participate in an exclusive monthly online chat or video conference with me, and all donors are entered into a monthly draw for Strange Planet merchandise. Any monthly amount is welcome and greatly appreciated. To become an official donor, go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet patreon.com forward slash strange planet coming up next on conspiracy unlimited a remarkable tale of clues encoded in a medieval painting leading to the templar treasure and the holy grail and the race to prevent hitler from finding them Knowing that Hitler had his eye on the painting, took that one panel away so he would never get it. And sure enough, he came in later on, and they rolled into Belgium, and they took all the art they could, including that, but that one panel was missing. And so years later, when the monuments men at the end of the war went back to, to Austria to recover all the stolen art, including this piece, they recovered the whole thing except for that one panel. And that one panel, that Just Judges panel, is still missing. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.